Alright, well, uh, we're going to look at Luke chapter 9, verses 1 to 20 today. And so, before we do that, let's just open in a word of prayer and invite the Lord to be with us in a special way. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being called your children. We thank you for the privilege of being called your sons and daughters. And as we study this passage in Luke chapter 9, may we continue to know these things and to believe these things. We thank you for Dr. Luke who wrote these things in detail so that there would be a detailed account of what Jesus did and said among us. And so there could be no doubt about who he was and who he continues to be. For as we read in Hebrews, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we thank you for that. We praise your name that we live in a country where we are as yet still free to serve and to love and to worship you. And we pray for our brothers and sisters who are not as fortunate, that they would continue to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 9, and uh, we will start with verse 1. This first section is uh, Luke chapter 9, verses 1 to 10, and I've kind of titled today's message, Jesus Gives a Mandate and Feeds a Multitude. And so it should be... Um, a very, uh, hopefully, very beneficial passage to us. I know it always encourages me when I read this. It says, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to, and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said unto them, Take nothing for your journey, neither staves, nor scrip, nor bread, neither money, neither have two coats apiece. And whatsoever house ye enter into, there abide, and thence depart. And whosoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust of your feet for a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by him, and he was perplexed, because it was said of some that John was risen from the dead, and of some that Elias had appeared, and of others that one of the old prophets was risen again. And Herod said, John have I beheaded, but who is this of whom I have hear such things? And he desired to see him. And the apostles, when they were returned, told him all that they had done, and they took them and went aside privately into the desert place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. And there, as usual, there are there are several things that stuck out to me, but uh, but the one thing that I wanted to bring out here is that Jesus called his 12 disciples together 
And He gave them power and authority over the devils and to cure diseases. You know, we, we talk about healing today and I do believe that God has the power to heal. I know that He is still in the healing business. I've seen Him do it. But it's significant to me that God gave these disciples power for a specific reason. Because I, I think we have some well-meaning brethren on the charismatic side who, when they pray, they often will command God to do something. My Bible doesn't tell me that I can command God to do anything. It says we can ask. And it says that he will give good gifts to those who ask him. But he also says, ask according to my will. And according to my will, I will answer you. So we need to keep this into in perspective. And in this particular passage, I don't think he mentions um, them going out two by two, but there, there is another passage where he does send them out two by two. And I think there's a significance in that as well. When I embarked on my ministry officially in 2009, one of my hesitancies was that I didn't want it to be about me. I wanted it to be very clearly about God. As a matter of fact, when my friend came to me and said, I'll help you build a website, he asked me, do you want andrewgomison.com? And I said, absolutely not. Because it's not about me. It's about Jesus. And that's when I came um, to the point of saying that I wanted my ministry to be known as speaking for him. And as you look through the Bible and you see people ministering for the Lord, there are often two by two. Lord willing, if he tarries and I continue to preach here, when I finish with Luke, I'd like to begin in the book of Acts. And as you see in the book of Acts, you will often see Paul did not travel alone, nor did he desire to travel alone. And when he was alone, he made it known that he was not supposed to be alone or that he did not feel comfortable being alone. For he said to Timothy, I have no man like-minded. And he asked people to visit him. And he served with Barnabas and with Silas. Why? Because we're not intended to walk this Christian life. Alone. But then he says in this in this second verse, and he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Remember, I think a few months ago, I was talking about Jesus healing, and I said it's great that he was able to heal physical diseases, but that wasn't his primary purpose. His purpose was to use his demonstration of power over physical diseases 
to show our spiritual need for a Savior. And so, he says, and he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So the kingdom of God was the first thing. You see, God gives us earthly blessings. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Does that mean that other things aren't important? Does that mean that having a wife and a child or things of that nature that are considered earthly blessings are not important? No, it isn't. What it is saying is that if you get your priorities right and you seek God first, He will give you everything you need. And in my experience, a great deal beside. You see, the Bible says in Proverbs, the blessing of the Lord maketh rich, and He adds no sorrow with it. We're in a place in this culture where we want to get rich quick. We want to have an abundance of wealth so we can do what we want, when we want, with who we want. But we need to realize that God is waiting to bless us as well. But when He blesses us, there won't be any sorrow because it will be the way that He wants it done. God made us the way He made us with the interests that he has for us, but he wants them to be filtered through his way and his truth. Because he made us. The Bible says that man, God breathed into man the breath of life and he became a living soul. Paul said, in him we live and move and have our being. And then Jesus says, take nothing for your journey. You know, I think about that, and I, I, as I'm preparing to take this trip, I don't necessarily think that that's what God's telling me to do at this point, is to take nothing for my journey. Because he also says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise. But, in this case, this is what he said. He said, Take nothing for your journey, neither staves nor scrip, neither bread, neither money, Neither have two coats apiece. You know, one of my friends challenged me not too long ago when we were in a recording session together for my podcast. He said, so often we want to pray for our monthly allotment, allotment, our monthly allotment, when what God is saying is for us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And this is the lesson that God was teaching the disciples. And whatsoever house ye enter into, there abide and thence depart. And whosoever will not receive you when you go out of the city, shake off the very dust of your feet for a testimony against them. <clears throat> so he's saying, whatever house you enter, Abide there. And when your time is done, leave. And if they don't receive you, shake off the dust of your feet. That's a good admonition to me because sometimes I get a little bent out of shape when people don't like me. 
I suppose it's human, but I do not like to hurt people or offend people. And so, as far as lies with me, I try to make it right when that happens. But if people are offended of me because I'm preaching the gospel, I'm supposed to shake the dust off my feet and continue on. The gospel is the truth that never changes. Not a truth. Not a revolving door, but the truth. Dennis mentioned that verse in Numbers. Where God says, am I a man that I should lie? Or the son of man that, that I should repent? Basically talking about how God doesn't change his mind. When he chooses to do something, he does it for a purpose and he has a reason. And so as we seek to impact the world for Christ, as we seek to impact this neighborhood for Christ, as you prepare to get ready for this outreach at the end of the month, may I urge you to enter into the homes, enter into the conversations with people. And if they accept you, great. If they have open hearts, great. But if they don't, shake the dust off your feet. Move on believing that God has someone else in mind for you to reach. And they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done to him, and he was perplexed because it was said of some that John was risen from the dead. And some of them that Elias had appeared and of others that one of the old prophets had risen again. And Herod said, John have I beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? And he desired to see him. Now I find this interesting because Herod obviously beheaded John because he had his brother's wife, and he says, it's not lawful for you to have her. And I think of this whenever I hear even Christians sometimes give politically correct answers to moral questions. John the Baptist did not hesitate. He said, it's not lawful for you to have her. And he never made a retraction. And it's interesting that Herod and some of the others would think that possibly... Jesus was John the Baptist risen because so many people asked John, what did they ask him when he started his ministry? They said, are you the Christ? And he said, I am not the Christ, but I am sent to bear witness of him. And he said, there's one coming of whose sandals I am not worthy to unloose. And shortly thereafter, Jesus came to be baptized of John. And John said, being a man, I should be baptized of you. And he said, suffer it to be so now. For in this way we will fulfill all righteousness. And Jesus was setting an example for us that we should come apart and be separate and, and identify to the world that we're separate by being baptized. Baptism doesn't mean we're perfect. I've made plenty of mistakes since I was baptized. But when I chose to be baptized as a six-year-old boy, I was identifying myself with the Lord and his death, burial, and resurrection, and I was telling the world that I was a new person in Christ Jesus. 
And by God's grace, he has sustained me, he has forgiven me, he has put up with me, and he is using me. Not because of me, but because of him. And then some said that Elias had appeared. It doesn't say that Elias had risen from the dead because we know that he didn't die. He went up into heaven in a chariot. And his protege, Elijah, when they were getting ready to part, he said, what do you want? He said, I want a double portion of your spirit. And he said, if you see me go into heaven, then you will have what you desire. And he did see him. And he did great things. And um, that's what Jesus wanted from his disciples. He said, you will do even greater things than I do. And I still don't fully comprehend that statement. I don't pretend to. But it's just interesting how the desire of a mentor should be to see those who he is discipling do greater things than he is. And I've had people that I have mentored that have kind of gone away from me, not in a bad way, but God has kind of taken them out of my life for one reason or another. And at first I used to get really distressed by that because I love people deeply when I become their friend. But in some ways, it's a good thing because it's showing that they're depending on God and not on me. I've had other people that I've had to distance myself from because I felt they were depending too much on me and not enough on God. And the apostles, when they were returned, told him all that they had done. And he took them and went aside privately into a desert place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. So, the disciples come. And they're telling Jesus everything that has happened. They're so excited. You ever come away from a conference or some other mountaintop type experience and you just can't wait to tell people what has happened? It's important for us to do that. It's important for us to step back regularly and, and think about what God has done for us because even in those times where it doesn't feel like He's done much, He's still given us air to breathe. He's still woken us up every day. He still brings the seasons in their season. You know, sometimes through this cold winter, I have thought in my head, spring is never going to come. It's a good thought, but it's just not going to happen. That's usually the thoughts I often get in early to mid-February. But you know what? When I looked at the forecast for this coming week, and I saw that there was a 4 on the left-hand side of the forecast, I saw once again the faithfulness of God. And the biggest thing that God wanted his disciples to see, I believe, through this endeavor of sending them out, was to see the faithfulness of God. I have a little illustration 
about God's faithfulness. And again, this passage does not mention the disciples going out two by two specifically, but I do believe most likely they did. But it seems to be God's pattern to send you people to work with you. And this illustration kind of talks about the need that we have for one another. In the fall of the year, Linda, a young woman, was traveling alone up the rutted and up the rutted and rugged highway from Alberta to the Yukon. Linda didn't know you don't travel to Whitehorse alone in a rundown Honda Civic, so she set off where only four-wheel drives normally venture. The first evening, she found a room in the mountains near a summit and asked for a 5 a.m. wake-up call so she could get an early start. She couldn't understand why the clerk looked surprised at the request, but as she awoke too early, early morning fog shrouding the mountaintop, she understood. Not wanting to look foolish, she got up and went to breakfast. Two truckers invited Linda to join them, and since the place was so small, she felt obliged. Where are you headed, one of the truckers asked. White horse. In that little Civic? No way. The pa this pass is dangerous in weather like this. Well, I'm determined to try, was Linda's gutsy, if not very informed response. Then I guess we'll just have to hug you, the trucker suggested. Linda drew back. The no There's no way I'm going to let you touch me. Not like that, the truckers chuckled. We'll put one truck in front of you and one in the rear. In that way, we'll get through the mountains. All that foggy morning, Linda followed the two red dots in front of her and had the insurance uh, of a big escort behind as they made their way safely through the mountains. Caught in the fog in our dangerous passage through life, we need to be hugged with fellow Christians who know the way and can lead safely ahead of us and with others behind gently encouraging us along, we too can pass safely. And I'm so thankful for people like you here at Holland Gospel Chapel who have encouraged me along, who have kept me motivated to continue to bring the gospel to others. And who have helped me with um, your financial support as well. Um, the extra gift last month was very uh, much appreciated and, and very gratefully received. Could somebody look up uh, Luke twelve twenty eight? Um, just as we underscore um, God taking care of our needs. If somebody has that, they can go ahead and read it. All right, so this goes back to what Jesus was saying in the early part of this passage where he says, Take nothing for your journey, but trust me. You know, it's, it's usually in my experience when I'm complaining the most, when I'm discouraged the most, that God sends a blessing in the form of a check in the mail 
and then I have to come before him again and ask his forgiveness forever doubting him. See, the problem is we want to know the answers early. See, right on time in human economy is late. And God says, I'm never late, I'm never early, I'm always right on time. So we need to get our line of thinking lined up with his. As we continue in this passage, now we're going to look at the feeding of the 5,000. Luke 9, 11-17. And the people, when they knew it, followed him, and he received them, and spoke unto them of the kingdom of God, and healed them that need that had need of healing. Once again, the kingdom of God coming before physical healing. And when the day began to wear away, then came the twelve and said unto him, Send the multitude away that they may go into the towns and country round about and lodge and get victuals, for we are here in a desert place. But he said unto them, Give them to eat. And they said, We have no more but five loaves and two fishes, except we should go and buy meat for all this people. For there were about 5,000 men. Now, I never noticed this before, but when you study the whole book in succession, you see things. Remember verse 3. He said, take nothing with you when you go. And yet they came back rejoicing that God had provided for every need they had. And they just came off this experience. But they're like me. They come off of an experience where God is faithful. And then they still say when they see the 5,000, we have nothing to give them to eat. Jesus was not expecting them to feed those people. But what he was expecting of them is probably maybe to say something like this. Lord, we can't feed them, but you can. Show us how. But instead, they thought of it in a human way and they said, Lord, there's no way we can feed these people. Even though they'd seen his faithfulness when they went out. So this is what Jesus says. He says, make them sit down by fifties in a company. He didn't say anything about how small the meal was. He just said, make them sit down. And they did so and made them all sit down. Incidentally, isn't it interesting how even in this, Jesus is doing all things decently in their order. He had a specific way that he wanted them to sit down. Then he took the five loaves and two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and brake and gave to the disciples to set before the multitude. And they did eat and were all filled, and there was taken up of fragments that remained to them twelve baskets. And it came to pass as he was... Okay, let's see. Okay, so... Skipping ahead there. But so... We see this, that he feeds this whole multitude with five loaves and two fishes. 
And it says, they ate and were all filled. To me, that's significant too. Because, I don't know about you, but growing up in a big family, um, I had a mom that was uh, able to stretch things out much farther than in my child's mind I thought they should have been. For instance, I remember one of my childhood memories was these old, these banquet cream pies. They were delicious. They were awesome. Okay? But they had probably, I think on the package, it usually said six servings. And my mom would somehow get 12 servings out of it. So in our minds growing up, we would be like, this is just a sliver of cream pie, and it's the greatest thing on earth, so why would you only give us a sliver? But Jesus doesn't skimp. It says here, they were all filled. It wasn't an appetizer. It wasn't like just a little sample at Costco. It was a full meal. And they were filled. So, that just underscores to me what Jesus said in John chapter 10. I know it's primarily used as a spiritual application, but I think there's a physical application too. I have come to give them life and to give them life more abundant. God gives us so many blessings. And we need to trust Him. And then it says, and they did eat and were all filled. Remember, they were all filled. Nobody was hungry. And then it was take, <clears throat> and then there was taken up of fragments that remained to them, twelve baskets. Twelve. How many disciples were there? They were twelve disciples. It's kind of interesting. There wasn't a leftover basket for Jesus. He was hungry too. Remember, he was, in, he was in the desert and he fasted for 40 days and he was afterward hungered. It was real. It wasn't fake. It wasn't as if the reason that he resisted this temptation was because he wasn't really hungry. He was hungry. The Bible says that. And yet he was always thinking of others. His disciples were more important to him than his own com comfort. We read in Romans chapter 12 that we're supposed to have the mind of Christ and to prefer others before ourselves. He said the greatest among us will be servants. And he showed us the greatest example. Do, you, do we really comprehend We've heard this story many times about Jesus wiping the disciples' feet. Do you really comprehend? Do I really comprehend that the creator of the world washed the disciples' feet? The creator of the world forgave publicans and sinners. The creator of the world died. On a cross. So that you and I could live. 
Do we comprehend this? And yet it's true. I'm so humbled by that. I'm humbled by the fact that Jesus prefers me before himself. Can we look at Psalm 78, verses 14 to 19? Psalm 78, verses 14 to 19. somebody gets there, they can go ahead and read it. In the daytime also he led them in the cloud and all the night with the light of fire. He clave the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink as out of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. And they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God in their hearts by asking meat for their lust. Yeah, they spake against God. They said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? This is a reflection of the children of Israel, their response to God in the wilderness. And I think it brings up a very good point. Is it wrong to question God? Sometimes we tend to preach that it is. I don't think so. But what I do think is that the attitude behind your question makes all the difference in the world. See, we read about two questioners earlier in our study in Luke. Their names were Zacharias and Mary. In Zacharias's case, God says, you don't believe me, and so because you don't believe me, I'm going to strike you dumb until the day your baby is born. In Mary's case, she asked an honest question. And we can tell the honest question because of her response after the angel is done speaking. What does she say? She says, be it according to thy word. So she asked a question of faith rather than a question of doubting. And we also see that the reason these, these, these um, Israelites wanted meat in the wilderness, why? So they could consume it because they, they were lusting for it. The Bible says in James that you have not because you ask amiss. I've been guilty of that. But I know that God is going to give me what I need when I need it in the best way possible. When I was a kid, I would have asked my mom for ice cream as my main course. Because I loved ice cream. To this day, it's one of my favorite things. But I've learned as I've grown up that if all I ate were ice cream... I would not only be sick, I would be sick of ice cream. I remember one time I was sick, and I don't remember exactly the sickness, 
But for whatever reason, I had to eat nothing but Jello for like four days. I liked it. But I have to admit, like the fourth day, I was getting kind of sick of it. To this day, my father doesn't eat very much Jello because of similar experiences. And while we're on the subject, that's why I don't drink ginger ale. Because my mom always gave it to me when I was sick. And so I have that psychological connection of ginger ale with the flu, so I don't eat it. But the point being that God knows what is best. And the same God that was with the Israelites in the wilderness and provided for their needs, pillar by night, cloud by day, was the same God that was standing before the disciples saying, give them something to eat. And he was just asking for a measure of faith. But thank God he was patient with them because just as they were imperfect, just as they were impatient, just as they did the wrong thing or said the wrong thing, so do I. But God is faithful. And it makes sense then that it leads into our final section here, these last two verses, three verses. And it came to pass, as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him, and he asked them, saying, Whom say people that I am? They answered, saying, John the Baptist, but some say Elias, and others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. He said to them, But whom say ye that I am. Peter answering said, the Christ of God. Now he doesn't expound that in this passage, but there's another passage where it says that Jesus said, flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but the Spirit of God has revealed it to you. But that's a question that we all need to answer. It doesn't matter what the history books say Jesus is. It doesn't even matter in a sense what the Bible says he is. It does matter because the Bible speaks truth. But the most important question before you today is what do you say about Jesus? Because you say, you see, you're not going to go to heaven because of what other people say about Jesus. You're going to go to heaven because when Jesus was presented to you as the Son of God, you said, I need a Savior. You said with Mary, my spirit will rejoice in God, my Savior. God, my Savior. And you made him yours. And every day that I get to walk with God, I marvel that I am a Son of God. But the Bible says I am because I believe on him. He came unto his own and his own rejected him. But to as many as received him, gave he the power to become the sons of God. And because of that, I resonate with Fanny Crosby who wrote that song, My Savior, first of all. She said in a poem she wrote when she was eight years old, 
Oh, what a happy soul am I. Oh, though I cannot see, I am resolved that in this world, contented I will be. I don't remember the rest of it. I should memorize the rest. But that later became the basis of the song because there was a pastor who said, Fanny, with all the gifts that God has given you, it's a shame that he took away your sight. And she said, Pastor, I don't see it that way. Because I rejoice in the fact that the first face that I will see when I get my sight back is the face of my Savior. And that's why she wrote that song. And it speaks powerfully to me. Because when I get my legs back, I'm going to be able to kneel and he's going to be the first one who sees that. I won't be able to kneel when and if I ever propose marriage. But I will be able to kneel and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. My question to you is will you make that decision today or will you make that decision only when it's too late? C.S. Lewis said this, because a lot of people say different things about Jesus. Some people say that he was a good man, but the problem is he said he was God. And if he was just a good man and he said he was God, then he was a liar and liars aren't good men. C.S. Lewis said this, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish things that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him the Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. The Roman leaders that day over 2,000 years ago chose to spit on him and kill him as a demon. But because he was not a demon, because he was not a man, he did not stay dead. And the more I go about my life, the more I'm convinced that they intellectually believed that he did rot. Because why else would they put a guard before the tomb? They didn't really think the disciples would go to steal the body. And they certainly didn't think that when they paid the guards off. 
Because they told the guards. They said, lie. Tell them that, he, that you fell asleep. And the disciples came and stole the body. Do you realize it probably would have been difficult for even all 11 of the remaining disciples to move that stone? It wasn't even like they were soldiers. These Roman soldiers had trained and gotten strong through their training. They were well trained and, and ready for combat. These disciples were fishermen and tax collectors. And it says, according to the time of that manuscript in Matthew, that it's still reported to this day that his disciples came and stole the body. And I would not be surprised to go to Israel and find that that's still the case. My friends, Jesus is not a good teacher. He was not a lunatic. He was and is and always will be the son of the living God. I hope today that you will make the right decision regarding him. That you will ask him to be the Lord of your life. For he has said this, that he who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete until the day of Jesus Christ. Are you letting him do that work in you? And if you are a believer and you're discouraged today, I pray that you will not give up. That you will not grow weary in doing good. For in due season you will reap a harvest if you do not faint. I know what it's like to be close to fainting, but praise God Almighty. He has never let go of me and he won't let go of you either. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this message. We thank you for the bold words of C.S. Lewis. And we thank you for the bold words of Peter. You are the Christ of God. Lord, we know that Peter would continue to make mistakes for it wouldn't be too long after this that he would deny knowing the Lord. And yet he would weave tears of repentance probably for three straight days until the risen Christ appeared before him and said, Peace be unto you, Peter. All is forgiven. We're so thankful for that because we see Peter in ourselves. Lord, we praise you for the gift of your salvation and your mercy. And we ask that you would forgive us for our shortcomings. Help us to make a decision regarding you. So that we can be with you forever. In heaven. Not because of what we have done. But because of your righteousness and mercy. You have saved us. I ask that you would bless these people. I ask that you would make your face to shine upon them. And I ask that you would give them peace. In Jesus' name.